Welcome to the Grace Chapel Podcast. This week we're listening to our senior pastor, Christopher Shetland. More resources to further and grow your identity with Christ can be found at gracechapel.org.au. There you can find books, audio recordings, videos, and much more. In 1961, like I say, the joint founder of the CRC movement in Australia with Thomas Foster, he put the book together called Operation Outreach, and I thought, look, it, it is still a wonderful handbook uh, for, for, for training us in how we should go about uh, maybe helping people. And one of the great things about one of the great things about uh, the salvation message is that the salvation message is is not just about uh, it's not just about uh, getting saved spiritually, uh, so that we can uh, maybe spend um, our retirement days in glory with Jesus, but 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 it's it's about health and welfare in the present, isn't it? It's about health and welfare in the present, and so. Um, uh, I've got this here. We'll go through the power of a deep desire. One of the, this was the first chapter that he put together in this book, the power of a deep desire. And he says, desire, I've, uh, I've paraphrased it a little bit because otherwise it goes on too long, but a desire in the worldly sense is based on what we hope for in our daily wishes. But in this study, uh, we're going to consider desire as a concept or as a vision that, that uh, will motivate or should motivate and grow our congregation. Now, at the moment, uh, as a congregation, we're probably about the smallest we've been over the last 20 years or so. Would that be right, uh, um, Steve? Uh, over the last, over the last maybe twenty, even thirty years, we're probably we're probably at the smallest we've been as a congregation for a long, long time. And and. Uh, uh, one of the things that Leo pointed out, he said, there are very, very few instances of success being reached without the fire of a passionate desire in the heart and mind of the believer. In my own personal life, you know, I, I've, I know I've spoken of this before, Barry Chant, Barry Chant, who's uh, been um, uh, CRC pastor for oh, probably 40 years or more, in 1975... We're in a meeting something like what we've got here today. It wasn't a big meeting, probably uh, might have been a few more people than what we've got here today, but, but Barry Chant came in to preach and, and he pointed me out. He, he had never seen me before. Uh, I certainly didn't know him, but he pointed me out and he said, you sir, and he pointed to me, he said, stand up. And he said, uh, he said you are going to have an amazing ministry. And he said, you are going to, you're going to teach teachers. And he told me, he said all, all this stuff he said about me and, and I'm there thinking, oh yeah, bulldust, bulldust, bulldust. Uh, <laughs> I could not believe that what he was saying uh, could be a part of my life because uh, I'd left school, you know, I was 15, just co- 14, just coming up towards 15 when I left school and... Um, and I've had so many jobs. I would work in, work in a job here and work in a job there. I, I from job to job. And it was like I had, a, I had a terribly aimless life. I wasn't quite sure what God was calling me to. And yet, as a, as a three-year-old, 
I knew God was calling me to the pulpit. And, um, and so I always, in, in the back of my mind, I always knew that God was calling me into ministry, but I really didn't want to go there. I, I saw ministry as, uh, ministry was sort of like an unpaid job. If you got ministry, you were never going to be successful in the financial realm. Although you look at the uh, televangelists today and you wonder about that, don't you? Because a lot of them are multimillionaires. But that was never, never the thing that, that sort of touched me. But, but I look back on the way the Lord led me. And, of course, I had, a, I had an old brother who got drowned in 1958, February the 15th, 1958. It was a Saturday. Colin went fishing out here at Coronella. A uh, boat got stuck on the mud. He decided he would swim ashore. He'd had a motorbike accident the night before, so he was suffering from concussion. And uh, while he was trying to swim across the, the rip to get, uh, get help, he went under the water, and that was the end of him. So, so uh, I sort of had this thing... Uh, blaming God for his death. You know, God, why did, why did you let him die? Why, you know, why, why would you let my brother die? Uh, what sort of God are you that allows that? But, you know, God doesn't stop us from jumping off a high place, does he? And if you want to jump out of a plane at 30,000 feet without a parachute, God isn't going to stop you. God isn't going to reach in and say, excuse me, you can't do that. He just doesn't do that. Uh, we have this thing called free will. Everybody got free will? Yeah, we've got free will. And free will means that we can choose what we will do when we will do it. And, um, and, and God is not going to change that. So there are very few instances, as, as, I, as I say here, of success being reached without the fire of a passionate desire in the heart and mind of the believer. When, when we got the opportunity to go into business, it was quite, quite an odd uh, affair. There was... Um, Mr. and Mrs. Ellett in, in Warrigal had bought a successful milk bar. Uh, Johnny James used to run that milk bar. We knew John and, and we used to deal in that place. And, and the Ellets bought this milk bar. And over a period of time, it went from being a very successful milk bar to being a, a, an absolute failure. And uh, I was in having a milkshake one day and Mrs. Ellett said to me, she said, Chris, she said, would you be interested in buying this business? I said, well, yes, I would. She said, um, can you raise a couple of thousand dollars for a deposit? And I said, I couldn't even raise a couple of, couple of dollars deposit because, uh, uh, you know, four children and, and uh, on, a, on, a, on a weekly pay packet and uh, paying rent, paying off a car, uh, paying for all the things that you, you need. And, and I'd got the stage where I was working all day in a shop and all night in a bakery so, so I, would, uh, I would start in the shop around 8.30 in the morning, uh, sometimes 9 o'clock. I would be there till 6, 7 o'clock at night. I would uh, drive home. Uh, if I was lucky, I might get a couple of hours sleep, but by 10 o'clock I would be in the bakery and I would be working officially till 6 o'clock in the morning, although the boss would often come in and keep us there till 8 o'clock in the morning cleaning up. So, so sometimes I would have no sleep and most of the time... I'd be lucky to get much more than two hours sleep. Uh, and then every Sunday, of course, uh, Saturday night, I'd go to bed and I'd sleep right through to one or two o'clock on Sunday afternoon. So, so I'd sort of catch up like that. But we, we had a very, very hectic schedule. And Mrs Ellis said, would you like to buy the milk bar? Uh, well, yes, of course, but uh, it didn't come about. But six, six or seven months later, 
I happened to be in there for a milkshake again, and she said, she said, Chris, are you still interested in buying the milk bar? I said, yes, I am. And she said, well, she said, my husband and I have decided that, that, that if you're interested in buying it, we will finance you to buy the milk bar. Because, uh, and, and uh, I was like, a, you know, we were like lambs to the slaughter, so to speak, because they sold us a milk bar that was worthless. Um, for how much did we pay? Can you remember? 5000 was it? Yeah, good, goodwill, $5,000 we paid. Anyway, we paid, we paid for this milk bar. We paid uh, goodwill and um, we had to pay for the stuff that was in it. Uh, they had a big old refrigerator in there. I decided to move the refrigerator and it fell apart and, and, um, and we found out later it was an illegal refrigerator. They, they charged us $1,000 for it. It wasn't worth anything because it was illegal and it had the old methylated spirits and, and water gas inside it. That all spilled out, went in the street, and we thought, my God, if somebody lights a match, we're going to blow up half the town. So, so we had some really exciting things. But along the way, along the way, uh, we, we met a fellow called Jeff Job, and, and Jeff had the, he, he had the contract with, with um, Joe's Soft Drink to, to deliver soft drink to the Druid and Warrigal area. And so anyway, we struck up a friendship with him, and the upshot was that eventually... We finished up uh, through a, a series of events. He, uh, he got himself into debt with the firm. He, he did a moonlight flit and done, did the disappearing. So I rang them up and I said, look, I know this man's done a moonlight flit. Uh, if you will sell me the business, I'll pay whatever he owes you. And they sent me a bill for $2,414.09. So I would never, would never forget the nine cents on the end of it. So which I didn't have, so I rang them up and said, look, I haven't got that sort of money, but if you let me pay it off at $50 a week, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take the business. And that's how we got into the soft drink business. And, of course, that, um, the, the, the whole thing about the soft drink business was one man, one area, so the Warrigal Drum was one area, Maui was another area, Moore was another area, Traugham was another area. And uh, I just felt that I'd like to take it all over, so I contacted the firm and said, look, how can I go about buying all these other places out? And they said, you can't. One man, one area was, was the way it was. But I had a deep desire. I had a deep desire. And, and, uh, and one of the unique things about the Bible, the Bible tells us that there is a tremendous power in a deep desire. If you've got a deep desire, you can, you can achieve things that normally would be impossible or seem to be impossible. And, uh, and, and, and I had that deep desire and, of course, over the next few years it came to pass that we took over all of the soft drink and, and we became very successful in that area. And at the same time, God started to challenge me and move in my life. And so, and so in, uh, uh, in, in the middle of 1970s, I decided to do a theological course and and uh, so I, I signed up with, with the Launceston um, um, Correspondence Bible School and, um, and I graduated from that in 1978. I was able to earn my first uh, certificate of theology and then, of course, I moved on to, to uh, uh, going for a diploma. By 1980-81, I had my diploma and, uh, of course, I continued with studies and so... Um, we, we've been able to we've been able to increase our studies, and not that it really counts too much. You know, one one of the things I do find that uh, I ring pastors up, and you know, you get these 
these machines, you know, they, everybody seems to have an answering machine now, don't they? And so you ring someone up and they say, you have rang Pastor Janice Muir from the so-and-so, you know, up there, or you have rung Pastor so-and-so and Pastor so Well, when people ring me up, they, they don't get Pastor anything, they just get who I am. And, and uh, I, I, really, I really find myself rebelling against this system that wants to put Pastors up on a pedestal or put anybody with, it, with any sort of degree up on a pedestal. We are all human beings, aren't we? And we don't need to call ourselves reverend. We don't need to call ourselves pastor or doctor or, or professor or any of those. We don't need any of those fancy names uh, if, if, if we're just trusting in Jesus. But um, as it says here, there are very few instances of success being reached without the fire of a passionate desire in the heart and mind of the believer. And, and I remember that I had that deep desire to take over the soft drink. And they said it wouldn't happen, but it did. Knowledge and vision are very important. Knowledge and vision have to work together if we're to be successful. And we need to talk now as a corporate body. We need to be talking as a church, as a church group. And uh, in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, of course, it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. Knowing who you are is important, but I'll tell you something. Knowing whose you are is even more important. Okay, to know who you are is a very important uh, aspect. If you want to, if you want to do well at anything, knowing who you are counts a lot. But knowing whose you are is even more important. We belong to Jesus. We are the children of God, and regardless of what the world may say, you know the world may like to mock us and and poo-poo what we stand for. Uh, the world might like to tell a lot of lies about us. And, and over the last uh, 30, 40 years, I can tell you, if I wrote a book about the lies that have been told about me, uh, I'll tell you, it'd fill a big book. Um, did, you know that, did you know that the minute you walk into this place, I take all of your money? Did you know that? I take all of your money and I buy houses with it. So I've got all these houses, according to some people around this town. Well, I live in a caravan and I don't own a house. I don't own a block of land. Uh, you know, in fact, uh, all I've got is my truck, basically. The, the, the caravan belongs to Evelyn. <laughs> and so, and so, so there you go. Uh, Proverbs 29 and verse 18 again, where there is no vision, the people perish. What's your vision? What's your vision? You know, uh, do, we, do we have to stay in our current state or can we move on? Can, can we improve our, our lot? Can, can, we actually, can we actually get somewhere in this life? Because the simple fact is that people without a vision gradually lose their usefulness. You know, if you haven't got a vision, then you really haven't got anything. You need, you need to have your sights set on something. You know, and it talks, talks about, talks about the, the ancients who had their eyes on the heavenly vision. They were looking down the, the period of time and they were seeing what would happen. The, the prophets were seeing what would happen. And uh, as we read the books, the prophetic words that come out of Isaiah and Ezekiel, Jeremiah and, and Daniel, so, so on and so forth through the Bible, we just, we just see there's some amazing stuff, isn't there? But uh, if you haven't got a vision... If you haven't got a vision for your life, you haven't got a vision for your family. So what's your vision? And, and most people don't, don't articulate a vision. Most people don't, don't really have a vision written out. 
Uh, one of the men I worked for, <coughs> going back in the 1960s, I used to sell uh, housing insulation, ceiling insulation for houses called Insulfluff. And uh, the man that, the man that uh, owned the business in Australia was a man called Robert Frost. Robert Frost had uh, picked up the, the uh, formula for making this, um, this insulation um, by, by, uh, uh, by nefarious means. He actually stole, he actually stole the, the, the whole um, recipe for it and he, and, and he finished up, he, he had to go to jail. He was in jail for 12 months, but he got out of jail. He came to Australia and he started a business called Insel Fluff. And there are many, many houses. Uh, there are, in fact, the first house that I put Insel Fluff into in this area was with David Gow, uh, senior, who, who his house out on the corner there, Kareenway, <coughs> uh, is, um, is, is insulated with Insel Fluff. That was done back in 1965. It's still there. It'll still be working. And it was a good product. But, um, but uh, like I say, Robert Frost, has, he, stole the, he stole the thing and brought it to Australia. But I remember visiting him one day. And on his wall, he had a, a big sign written. And it gave dates. It said, such and such a date, get married. Such and such a date, produce a son. Such and such a day produce a daughter. Such and such, and, and he actually had written on his wall. He had this this old thing, and he used to look at it every morning, and he would read it out every morning. What his what his goal was to to be married at that date, and he was to to have a son, and he did, and to have a daughter, and he did, and and he had all this written out. And I remember his last one was was uh, in in such and such a year to retire to his country estate. And he did. He was very much a positive thinker and, uh, uh, and, and, and determined to achieve his vision. People without a vision gradually lose their usefulness. He had a vision, and I tell you, you couldn't, you couldn't move him from it. Jesus said in Luke 12, 48, Unto whom much is given, of him shall much be required. To whom much is given, much is required. Knowledge alone, as it says here, knowledge alone doesn't bring power and it can't bring power. Just uh, knowledge by itself has no value. We have to use it, don't we? So the way we use knowledge brings about a power that can change our circumstances. We, we can start to operate uh, from a biblical point of view and so we have a positive attitude. Last year, in uh, June, June 12 months ago, the first Monday of June, you will remember I was out here working, and 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 again we see the hand of God in my life. Had I been at home in the caravan, Evelyn was in in uh, Kenya. Had I been at home in in the caravan, and had the stroke there, no one would have found me. I'd have been there. It was Monday morning. I would have been there till the following Sunday. I would have been missed here and someone would have come looking for me at some stage, I, I guess, and uh, they would have found a body laying, lying on the floor. But as it was, I was out here. Uh, I, for some weird reason, I decided to come out with my mattock and, and uh, start to dig up a few bits of grass and so on and so forth. You know. But I fell over. And what I, what I, if you had asked me what had happened, I thought my, my feet had got tangled up in the grass and I just fell over. I've, uh, I've uh, done that before. And, and so I fell over, yeah, no big deal. 
I thought, now I went to get up and I couldn't. And I had this, this weirdest thing happen to me because as I tried to get up, I actually felt, I actually felt my leg move to get in the position where I could lift. But as I, as I looked at my foot, it didn't move. But I, I could feel my leg moving, but, but my, it didn't move. And so I, I reached up to try and pull myself up on something and I felt my, I felt my arm move up, only it didn't. And I thought, hello, uh, oh, what's going on here? Something's not working. So that was at half past seven in the morning. So I, I thought, well, by eight o'clock, the guys over the road will open up and I can, I can call out to them. Fortunately, I had my voice with me, so I could say, and I made enough noise that they came over and saw me. So uh, the upshot was we got the ambulance into one thaggy. Uh, they gave me a needle while I was in in one thaggy for something or other, and they sent me down to Monash, and, of course, I got down there, and then the operation occurred, and, and they, I was told uh, that... Uh, you, you will be in care for the rest of your life. You've had a massive, you've had a massive uh, stroke, and uh, and uh, you will suffer. You will suffer another stroke. And that's nice, isn't it? You know, I mean, I've just had a stroke, and they tell me you're going to suffer another one. Well, oh, hallelujah! You know, I mean, that's really something to look forward to, isn't it? So, so, so the the head honcho from the stroke department uh, talking to me. He said first, he said, well, you see, you've dodged a bullet. Because you can still you can still talk and, and that, but he said by rights you should be in care for the rest of your life. He said, but he said you are going to have another stroke, and my answer immediately was, I haven't got time to be sick. I'm going to Kenya next week. And they said, no, you can't go to Kenya. You can't fly for six months, and you can't drive your car for six months either. Well. The day after the, uh, I got out of hospital on the Wednesday and on the Thursday, I drove myself down to Grantville to my doctor. He said, uh, how'd you get here? I sort of drove. He said, you can't drive, etc., etc." I said, well, I can. I'm OK. I said, in fact, tomorrow I'm driving down to Melbourne Airport to pick up my wife who's coming back from Kenya. And I did. And I want to tell you something. A positive attitude is so important if you want to succeed at things, you've got to have a positive attitude. And, uh, I, and, I, and my attitude has always been, I haven't got time to be sick. I haven't got time. And so uh, Jesus is saying, to whom much is given, much is required. And knowledge alone doesn't bring power. We, you know, we, we would all like to have power over our own life and power to achieve great things. But without the knowledge... You just won't get there. Knowledge brings a power that can change circumstances. So you say, well, what's, what's your circumstance? What are you believing for? What are you trusting for? And, and uh, that's what true desire is, isn't it? To have that desire. It's knowledge that spurs us on to success. It's knowledge that says, I am going to do this. I am going to achieve it. I'm going to win. Vision or strong desire is the power that drives us on to success. The secret of faith is our faith develops as we spend more time in the word. One of the, one of the things I'm ever grateful for is that God put a desire in my heart. Uh, in 1974, God put such a desire in my heart and I started to read the Bible cover to cover. <coughs> and um, and uh, I read the Bible cover to cover 
uh, a dozen times over five months, over a five-month period, uh, uh, coming home of a day, <coughs> working hard through the day, carrying, carrying the drinks and that, and Evelyn can, can uh, uh, substantiate what I'm saying, that we would come home, I would immediately sit at my desk, I would start reading the Bible, I would have my, have my meal there, I would read the Bible till two o'clock in the morning, I would then go to bed, I would get up at four o'clock in the morning, I would continue reading the Bible until I went to work. And I did that every day, Sunday I'd read the Bible all day long. And I just read the word, read the word, read the word, and really I got saturated with the word of God. And, and the, the truth of the matter is that your faith develops as we spend more time in the word. If you feel that you're maybe lacking in faith in a certain area, get your Bible out, read the word, read the word, read the word. For the knowledge of God grows through spending more time in the Bible. You know, you want to you know about God? That's where you go, isn't it? But our knowledge of God's word has to create the intense desire that is necessary for the fulfilment of his word. And one of the great things about the Bible, it is such a positive book. The more time that you spend in the word of God, the, the, the more you'll find you've got the desire in, in the various areas of your life to succeed. Many Christians uh, are well aware of the promises of God, but at the same time they don't exercise that deep desire that is needed for fulfilment of those promises. So deep desire causes us to know the promises of God and to constantly think on them, recite them, recite them. And, and you know, as you're going through the Bible, just a, a quick show of hands, those who have noticed as you read the Bible, it's like sometimes you find a verse that just seems to stand out. You found that? It's amazing, isn't it? Just find a verse and it seems to stand out. I can remember uh, in 1974, as I was reading through the Bible, one, one verse that really stood out to me was Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. And, and uh, in, in that verse, I saw my whole life. It says, and therefore would the Lord wait that... that uh, he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they who wait for him. And that verse, it just burned into my soul. And, and, uh, and, and still today, it, it is still an important part. You know. And therefore will the Lord wait. And I could see that the Lord had waited. He'd called me when I was just three years old. Called me when I was just three years old. And now I was in my 30s, you know finally answering the call. So deep desire, you know, when, when, you know when, we, when we match our desire with what God has for us, you know, we need, to, we need to seek God. We need to find, God, what are you calling me to do? Well, I want to tell you, I have found my calling in God. After 40 years of pastoring in this place here, I have found my calling, and it's to Kenya. It's amazing, isn't it? Here I am, too old to be of much use anyway. And uh, I, 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 just, I just sent a message. I just sent a message to a pastor, uh, Pastor Ezekiel up in Kitali. I sent him a message la last night. I sent him a message and I got an answer this morning. I'll just see if I can find it. I, I sent him a message that is really based on what we're talking about today. And uh, his answer to me was, Amen. May God bless you for impacting my Sunday. And this is a man, you know, I, I, got, out of the, I got out of the Matutu up at uh, Kitali a few weeks ago 
and um, uh, not knowing where I was going to stay or who I was going to catch up with, but I went in and had a cup of coffee, and while having a cup of coffee, this, uh, this big black uh, African stood in front of me and he said, how are you? So I said, Habari, uh, and, um, and uh, we struck up a conversation and it turned out that he's, uh, he's a pastor of the Emmanuel uh, Revival Centre there. And uh, as a result of that, I finished up. I actually uh, went to his church on the Sunday. He was, I told you the other week, he was ordaining, uh, he was ordaining four men into eldership. And uh, I was in the congregation. All of a sudden, he just said, the, 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 the white man from Australia is going to come and he's going to, he's going to speak over these men. And so I was hit with, you're going to prophesy, you're going to, you're going to tell these guys what God has got for them. <laughs> that's really, that's really, now, that's really exciting stuff. If you, don't, if you don't believe in God, you can't really do much, can you? But, but um, yeah, he said, he's, he's, going to, he's going to prophesy over them. So, so I get up there and so, so I lay hands on them and I've got, to, I've got to speak into their lives. And so I start speaking into their lives and I'm thinking, oh, God, please help me, you know. <laughs> At the end of this, I'm going to be kicked out. But, but uh, when I'd finished, he, he took the microphone. He said, he, said, I, he said, I had these men in my office on Friday and he said, I told them exactly what this man has just said. And so now I've got to be careful because they sort of want to sort of, you know, they want to sort of honour me. But uh, it's opened up. It's opened up a whole new area of ministry for me in Kenya. And I just love the way God works in my life. I just love the way that God finds a way when I can't. So deep desire causes us to know the promises of God and to constantly think on them. What do you think about during the day? What do you think about during the week? Because whatever you've got on your mind, you know, think success and and eventually you'll get it. Think success. You, you have to, you, you, sometimes you've got to speak to yourself and you've got to gee yourself up and say, hey, you can do this. You can do this. You don't, you don't have to let the sickness hold you down. You can, you can rise above the sickness. You can rise above any disability. I don't care what it is. You can rise above it. And we need to, we need to speak out the promises of God in our lives. Evelyn and I have a scripture that's written up on the wall from Isaiah 41, 8, 9, 10, isn't it? And uh, it's a wonderful piece of scripture. Um, I, in fact, I, I think I'll get it because I think... And, and when we, what we do, when, when we read it, we paraphrase it and so we make it personal. And I think it's, that, it's very, very important when you, when you have a scripture for you that uh, you, you make it, make it uh, personal, okay? So Isaiah 41, starting at verse 8. And, and I'm going to personalise it the way we have it written on the wall. But you, Christopher and Evelyn, are my servants. Christopher and Evelyn, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. You, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth. Remember that I came from the south of England and Evelyn comes from Congwack, the south of Australia. And if you draw a line from where I came from, straight back through, you find it's almost a direct straight line from where Evelyn was born to where I was born. You, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called you from the chief men thereof, and said unto you, You are my servant. I have chosen you, and not cast you away. And it goes on, and and, uh, it says, Fear you not, for I am with you. 
Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against you, all those who are angry and upset and against you in every way, shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. And, and, and we've, we've been able to hold to that, to that word for many, many years. And I tell you, there's been a lot of times when I would have chucked in the towel. There have been a lot of times when I would have given it all away, except for that word. Except for that word. That each time I read that word, I am strengthened with a power that can come only from God. It's a wonderful thing. And so deep desire causes us to know the promises of God and to constantly dwell on them. We need to be thinking, you know, what is God's promise to me? If you haven't had a promise from God, seek one. Find God's promise and start to speak it out so, so that you're not, you're not only getting it through the eye gate, but you're getting it through the ear gate. Start to speak it out. For we, will, we can never enjoy the success of desire without the actions that go with it. The actions are necessary for the fulfilment of desire. In other words, you've got to get off your backside sometimes and have a go. You know, the good old saying, that one of the great sayings in Australia is, have a go, you mug. Remember? Well, have a go. Because you, you might be surprised just what you can achieve by having a go. And so we need the faith that stems from a deep desire. Mark 11.24, one of my favourite scriptures. Mark 11.24, what things soever you desire. So you've, the first thing you've got to have is you've got to have a desire. When you pray, and it's no good having a desire without the prayer. If you're going to have a desire, you need to start to pray about it. Lord, Lord, how can I fulfil this desire? Lord, is this desire of you? You know, firstly, it's got to be a desire that stems from God. It's got to be a desire that, that fits in with his plans for our life. When you pray, believe that you receive and you shall have it. Believe that you receive. If you don't believe it, you're not going to get it. Our believing is so, so important. And in, you know, going back in 19... Uh, when was 76, was it, when I hit the heart attack? In 76, when I had the heart attacks and I'm in hospital, uh, second heart attack and my heart uh, stopped, uh, uh, somebody jumped on me because I had, a, I, I tell you, I had the most sore chest for a couple of weeks afterwards. I felt like I'd been kicked by a horse. But, um, but uh, uh, they kept me alive. They kept my heart beating at one heartbeat every 12 seconds. And um, uh, that's a bit slow. Is that right? We have a nurse here. Uh, that's a bit slow, isn't it? One, one heartbeat every 12 seconds a bit slow? Yeah. Yeah, just a bit slow. And so, so just six beats a minute, and they kept me like that for a couple of hours, and finally they decided they should electric shock me. Uh, so, so they stuck the wire, stuck, stuck the kapow, you know, and they kicked me back into gear. And they expected that I would have brain damage. So as I was coming out of the a coma, uh, uh, I, was say, I was saying, let me go, let me go, because I didn't want to come back. I want to tell you something. Dying is such good fun. Everybody should do it at least once. It is good fun. You don't die. You simply step out of your body, and it's an incredible feeling. It's a wonderful feeling to step out of this body. There is a freedom about it that you, 
that you, you envy for the rest of your life. You sort of think back and think, I, I wish it had never stopped. It was a wonderful feeling. And, and then, of course, they bring you back and I was saying, let me go, let me go, but they wouldn't let me go. Wouldn't let me go. <laughs> and uh, I often say they ruined my life, but anyway. But, but, but uh, you know, God is going to have his way no matter what. And, and praise God, one day, one day he's going to take my breath away. One day he's going to take my breath away. And I look forward to that day in a sense that, hey, look, I know what a blessing it is. But, um, but what things serve you desire when you pray? Believe you receive it, you shall have it. Praying, believing and receiving. Praying is not sufficient. You've got to believe it. And in believing it, you've got to be prepared to reach out and get a hold of it. Knowing salvation, knowing divine healing, knowing the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You know, if, if you're not baptised in the Holy Spirit, if you haven't had that tongues experience, then you need it. And, and you should crave it. You should be going, go look for it because it will change your life. In 1956, in, in November 1956, I was confirmed by the Bishop of Gippsland in his day in the Anglican Church. And I suddenly found after, after he had laid hands on me, he said, receive you the Holy Ghost. But afterwards I found that night I had a language that I could speak. Wonderful language. I had a language that I could speak and make me feel good. And I can tell you when, when I was courting Evelyn, uh, she was living in Currumburra, I was living in Warrigal. I would drive home from Currumburra to Warrigal and it would feel like a five minute drive because I was singing tongues all the way and, and it seemed like I hardly left Currumburra and I was in Warrigal. Wonderful experience. So knowing salvation, enjoying divine healing. I will tell you, in nine, many, many years ago when I was a... When I was just 13 years old, I was just 13 years old, I got very sick. I got very sick. I remember it was, uh, it was just before Christmas, the, uh, the, the film The Greatest Show on Earth was, being, it was coming to Warrigal and I got so sick I wasn't able to go to the film. And my mother got the doctor in and uh, uh, she said to the doctor, maybe has he got appendicitis? The doctor said no. He said, but I'll give him some penicillin uh, to try and fix him up. And so they dosed me up with penicillin. One year later, I got very sick at school. I went to the headmaster and I said, look, I'm sick. I need to go home. And he said, where do you live? And I told him, he said, that's 22 miles away. Well, I said, yes, but my father is working in Warrigal. So he's up in Bowen Street. If I go up there, I'm sure he'll be able to take me home. And so he said, well, okay. So I walked the two miles up to Bowen Street where my father was working, but he wasn't working there anymore. He finished that job and moved on to another job. I didn't know where he was. So, you know, being brain dead, instead of going back to school, I said, well, I'll, I'll walk home. So 22 miles. Uh, I would have been quicker to go back to school and catch the bus to get home because I tell you, it was about seven o'clock at night before I got home. But I, I managed to get home. As I walked in the back door, I just collapsed and passed out. So I was chucked in the back. My, my dad had a 1926 Chev that had, had, the, uh, had the back cut off and turned into a utility. I was chucked in the back of the utility and off we went into the doctor and the doctor said we'd better take him to the hospital. I went to the hospital. I was put straight in the operating theatre and they took my appendix out. When they took my appendix out, the doctor came to my father and he said, he said, has this boy ever had an operation before? My dad said, well, no, he hasn't. 
He said, well, he said, we've got the strangest thing. He said, he said, we're going to send his appendix down to the university in Melbourne because, he said, you can clearly see where his appendix has ruptured and it has been stitched up. He said, you can see the suture marks where it's been stitched up. What I want to know is who stitched it up? Who stitched it up? This is in, in, within me. Who stitched it up? But the doctor, he said, you can see the suture marks where the appendix has been stitched up and repaired. An amazing thing. And so I see, you know, time and time again, God has stepped in in my life. And, I've in, and I enjoy good health. So knowing salvation, knowing divine healing, understanding the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all the blessings that come from it, that is not enough to bring the revival that we need here. The secret of faith is intense desire. What things soever you desire, what things soever you have an intense desire for, what, what things a deep vision for, get that deep vision. Without it, we will never prove the power of God in our life. The deep desire grabs hold of the promises of God and brings them into reality. And so we need to ask ourselves daily what our deepest desire is concerning the call of God in our life. What is the call of God for your life? That's the most important thing to find, to find that calling. And I praise God that I've found mine, you know. And, it, and, my, and my calling is very much involved here, very much involved here. But in the involvement here, it's also now stretched out to Kenya. And, you know, we started the movement, we started the, the missionary movement in Myanmar, Burma, with uh, Mangazar Suan back in 1989. We started that, that here. And, and Mangazar has asked me many, many times to go to Burma with him. But I've never gone to Burma. It just it hasn't gelled. I went to Papua New Guinea once and took Jono with me because uh, we'd been supporting him since 1975 up there and they desperately wanted us to come along. But I, I haven't felt the need to go back there. The calling isn't there. But with Kenya, the call is in my heart, in my mind, and it's on, my, my, on a daily basis. That's called deep desire. Then what is our spiritual experience? My spiritual experience has, has been a remarkable one. <clears throat> I'm, I'm always amazed that I lay hands on sick people and they recover. You know, I've told you the story about the bishop over in Africa, who, in Kenya. Uh, they took me to this bishop. He'd been bedridden for a few days. He'd very, so sick, they were trying to organise to get enough money to take him to the doctor. And uh, I went, went into his room, and there he is laying in bed, and he's in his pyjamas. And, uh, and uh, John said, John said, I've brought, brought the white man. He's going to pray for you. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I didn't know what to do, so I took his hand and I moved his pyjama uh, uh, coat sleeve, moved it out of the way, and I just, rubbed it. I just rubbed my hand on his arm. I just rubbed my hand up and down his arm and said, I said, uh, catch my health. And that was my prayer, catch my health. And the following day he's out of bed and up and t totally healed. You know, we just say, God is a wonderful God. And sometimes we do, we do something on the spur of the moment that you think, well, that's a bit weird, isn't it? You, you know, can you do that? Well, yes, you can. So we need to ask, what is our, what, as believers, what is our desire for our church? 
And what did the early church have that caused the massive growth of the congregation? You know, it says in Acts 2.41, they that gladly received his word were baptised and the same day they were added about 3,000 souls. And there's a very interesting little twist here. Very interesting little twist. If you go back into the, if you go back into, into the giving of the law, we find that the giving of the law, when Moses came down from the mountain of the giving of the law, the people had acted up and, 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 and death came into the camp and it says about 3,000 people died on that day. At the giving of the law, about 3,000 people died. But at the giving of the Holy Spirit, about 3,000 came alive. Hallelujah. And we start to see the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Praise God. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's our deepest and strongest desire collectively for Grace Chapel? What do we want for this place? And the early church grew through the united vision. It says they were all of one accord. And so our priority should be winning souls. And we don't have to, you know, it's not a matter of you've got to come to Grace Chapel. Look, my attitude is people are free to go wherever they will. We've always had the, we've always had the thing here, the door opens in, the door opens out. You're free to come, you're free to leave. But the book of Acts records amazing numbers being added to the church on a daily basis. Mass conversions to Christianity were a daily reality. But at the same time, the systematic winning of souls on a daily, weekly and monthly basis continued. And in Acts 2.47 it says, The Lord added daily such as should be saved. If the early church hadn't majored on the winning of souls, it would have died out in the first century. And if we, if we, don't, if we don't grasp that, if we don't get hold of that truth, we will die out. The basic job of the Christian is to win souls and that comes from a deep desire to do the will of God. From the beginning, it remains the cry of the evangelist. He that wins souls is wise. He that wins souls is wise. You want to be wise? Win souls. And this is an important issue for the church. Compassion for the sick, compassion for the suffering is an automatic reaction for the committed Christian. And so many people ask the question today, does God heal today? Well, yes, he does. God healed yesterday, God heals today, and God will heal tomorrow. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the same today as he was at the beginning. And so, yes, God does heal today. The Pentecostal dispensation has not finished. It's still on. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is still an absolute necessity for success in Christian life. We need to be filled again and again and again. We need to experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit along with the fruit of the Spirit. We need the constant power of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives and in our ministry. And every single person in this place has a ministry. You may say, well, I don't really have a ministry. Well, I want to tell you, you've got a ministry. You've got a ministry to those around you. Your neighbours, your friends, your family. And we should never, ever lose that deep desire and hunger and thirst for the true Pentecostal revival. So we need to understand the New Testament revival covers every area of blessing. It covers every area of provision God has made. Our desire, our believing, our worship and our witness has to be as the early church was. And knowledge is not enough. We have to have that vision based on a godly desire. God bless you. God bless you. Thanks for putting up with me. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to you coming next week. Thank you for joining us. We'd love to connect with you through our social media. Just search for Grace Chapel AU.